This podcast is recorded in front of an unwitting audience. This is True Crime Kent. take but a second. Now take the ice and the lube and the cactus in there in the bedroom. I'll be in there shortly. Yeah. Yeah, just one second. Hello? Hello? Uh, hey, true crime Kent. Um, y- you're not busy, are you? Are you wanting to record? Well, yeah, I thought maybe we could just do that. Put or... the cactus back oh. up and put the ice back in the freezer. It's going to have to wait. Yeah, Hold up. I, I got to put my pants back on. Oh, okay. What in the world is going on there? All right, so, uh, so what do you want to get into today? Dahmer or how about the American Diatlov's Pass? They're, you know, the Americans had a version of that, too. Really? Oh, well, a dealer's choice, whatever you want. Uh, okay. Um, uh, I know. Have you ever seen The Shining? Oh, yeah, the movie about the incredible true story of David Helfgott, the Australian concert pianist, and his struggle with fame and mental illness. What a great movie. Great pianist, too. Poor guy really had a time. You know, Kent, Jeffrey Rush, the guy who played David Helfgott in the movie, is probably one of the most underrated. No, no, no. So many no's there. So many. You're talking about the 1996 film, Sean. I'm talking about the 1980 flick, The Shining. The Shining, not not Shine. It's a horror movie with Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, based on a Stephen King book. Is ringing any bells? Mm, no, I I don't believe so. I don't see a lot of unheard of movies, though. <sighs> you've you've seen Shine, but you don't watch a lot of. Look, man. The Shining is a movie about a haunted hotel called The Overlook. Bad things happen there to good people. Bad things happen there to bad people. Bad things just happen there. People die, and oftentimes their spirits remain. No, does anybody play the piano in the movie? No. 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 No, there's not a single piano. Not a single piano is played the entirety of the movie. Uh, I, I guess I just don't see the point, then. It's... Okay, well... Anyways, today we're going to dig into a little bit of real-life version of the infamous Overlook Hotel from the shop. Have you ever heard the Moonlight Sonata by Beethoven on the piano? Ha- have you? It's a uh, piano. I know what the fucking Moonlight Sonata is, Op. I-, I know I have this accent, but that doesn't mean that the only thing I listen to is David Allen Cole and Leonard Skinner. You keep bringing up the piano now, and this entire story literally has nothing to do with the piano. Nothing. No, no. No, you brought up the movie Shine, and I was, I was just, you know... Start the music. Recording has initiated. Okay, Op, so like I said, this, this entire story takes place. We're not just focusing on one person today. We're going to be focusing on a place, a location. And this entire story, story takes place in the Cecil Hotel. Uh, it's it's a lot like that movie uh, Phone Booth with Colin Farrell if the phone booth was, was 14 stories tall. I remember that movie Phone Booth. I, I believe that that was the movie where I was like, wow, he said the F word 57 times in the first minute and a half. It was – I had grandma, – grandma had to go home. I'm surprised you've seen it at all because there's not a single piano in that entire movie. That's – but. 
I waited till the very end, till the credits, hoping, but I was let down. Not one. Not one. Not a one. Not a one. Sad. So I figured we'd kick this off with, do you have any personal uh, horrible hotel visits? That, that What's the worst hotel situation that you've ever encountered? Yeah, I've got two. I have two. Uh, so I, I've been married. I've been married twice. So I, I got a divorce the first time. I didn't just stack them on top of each other, you know, like some culty weirdness or nothing. I didn't do that. I, I divorced one and then got another wife. Okay. What's funny about that is when I was first married to my first wife, whenever I would introduce her in public, I would say, this is my first wife. Before we were divorced, she hated it. You don't say. And then we... Surely not. Yeah. She didn't appreciate that? Not at all. She did not see the humor in it. Now it seems a little more utilitarian to say, this is my first wife, when, you know, if I ever have to introduce her somewhere, you know. Right. Or maybe it was uh, foreshadowing. I don't know. Anyway, so I got married... The first time, and I was in a hotel on the Puget Sound coast. It like went out into the water in Puget Sound, Seattle, Washington. Totally cool. Totally cool. Like you look at the window, you're over the water. There's no like ground. And it was really neat. Then at 4 a.m., you remember Marley's ghost, the one with the chains on him? Bob Marley? From Bob Marley? No. The ghost from Christmas movie. Oh, yeah, with the puppets. Yeah, and the chains, how Marley had the chains on him. Yeah, that shit terrified me when I was a child. Me too. Even the Muppets version was like, what's going on? Horrifying. At about 4 a.m., maybe 5 a.m., it sounded like someone was dragging Marley's ghost through our walls. Through our walls. The walls of the hotel, it sounded just, it was unbelievable. So I like I'm like what the heck is good all these noises and I look outside there's no one there no one in the halls nothing's going on so I go back in and then like 2 minutes later Marley's ghost dragging all the middle in the whole world through the wall and I'm like I don't understand it so I go out and and I go downstairs go to the front desk and I'm like hey there is like I don't know a metal convention in the wall of my of my hotel room, and they're like, "Sir, there's nothing going on. We don't, have a, you know." I go back to my room. Same thing happens again. I go back to the front desk. I'm like, "Look, something is happening. You need to come check it out." Apparently, there was a contractor who thought he'd get an early start on some repairs. He literally was in this, like, air pocket space between the stairwell and my wall, somehow in there fixing stuff, and he was dragging, like, buckets of nails. <laughs> you, couldn't, you couldn't find him because the access to the airspace was, like, below. So you go outside, there's nothing there. It was like an ice machine next to me. It was crazy. What time was this? About 5 a.m., yeah, and then also that, I was like, I don't care if the guy has repair suits. Okay, that's fine. But why 5 a.m.? Why start this, this early? This guy was a perv, and he had a he had a bucket of nails 
as an alibi. I think so. That's all that was. Because Dan is not proper contractor decorum. His excuse was, well, I just thought I'd be in the basement fixing stuff, but then I'd get up into this air plenum. I'm like, I don't even know what a plenum is, but you're bothering me. So anyway, they were like, he wasn't going to stop. He was already there working. So I just asked for a refund, and then we went to the Westin Hotel, which was... Chain-free. Chain-free, though. But boring. Pervert-free. Maybe. Who knows, right? And then I got one more really quick. This one just happened really fast. I was okay. on, uh, like, the fourth floor of this hotel one time, and I had my son with me. Uh, we're standing by the elevators, and I heard something down the hall. So I look around down the hall, and then I'm yelling down the hall to one of my family members, like, yeah, yeah, blah, 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 we're down here. I look back, doors closed. On my three-year-old son, he had walked into the elevator and doors closed, and the elevator just went away. A couple years later, I got another son um, who I have kept <laughs> to this day. He's still with me. Did he just stay on the elevator and wait for you to find him, or did he wander off? Fortunately, he did stay on the elevator. Man, that is a scary feat because, like... The hotel room is full of anonymous rooms, right? So somebody, you know, it opens the doors on another level, and someone that does not have good intentions sees him. Yeah, somebody could just snatch him and he'd vanish. That's that. Yes, secret away into a hotel room. Hey, or into the walls of of the plenum part of the walls where contractors work. You never know where kids could get stuff. There's just a guy with a bucket of nails. Yep. And then how does he get him out? In the bucket. (laughs) So, a few years ago, I was doing work, artwork, uh, sculpting and, and stuff for a, for a large horror convention. And my accent makes it sound like, uh, probably makes it sound like I said whore convention, like W-H-O-R-E. That's not the, not a whore, not a whore convention, horror or, whore or. Horror. Horror. Okay, horror. Yeah, I will say, like, sometimes I I have to give myself a pause to try to translate what you're saying because you have very thick accent. I was doing work for a horror convention. It also sounds like you're saying optional whores, like, hey, do you want to get a whore or go bowling? (laughs) (laughs) So one of the perks to this this job that I was doing for them was they would provide my room for the weekend while I got to attend this and I did work for them. And when I say work, I mean, a lot of times I provided, like, the props that they needed for photo ops with celebrities, you know, whatever they needed, really. Whether it was a a Jason Voorhees mask, whatever whatever they would need, I would sculpt it, make a mold of it, cast it, paint it. And I just did all that that work for them. So so I get there one, one Friday night, get my motel room key, and it's a pretty nice motel. Go to the top floor. I've got my bags. Go to the end of the hallway, I slide my key in, and whenever I open the door, like usually just because they're paying for it, you know, and this is completely understandable, it's just a pretty basic room, right? Nothing special. Right. I don't need anything special. I'm not even going to be in it most of the weekend. I'm going to be out at the convention. Right. Yeah, exactly. Just a place to lay my head. Well, when I open this door, it's like a suite. It's like a, it's like the high roller suite. Nice. And I open the door into a, almost, well, a dining room area, and uh, out loud into the room... I go, God damn, this is a nice place. <laughs> so I got my bags. I, th- I just throw them onto the dining room table there, and I, like, walk around to the kitchen, and I'm heading through the kitchen back into the what I can see through this walkway is, like, the living room area. 
Yeah. And I'm just strutting through. I'm probably like starting to kick off my shoes or whatever. And right as I'm like making my way into the living room, a lady comes hauling ass around the corner and runs it, bumps into my chest. And I go, bah! And she's like, ah! <laughs> now you're not ex- in your room? Yeah, in my room, right? Now, she's in PJs. I immediately, I do a situation assessment. I'm like, this is not good. You don't, you're not expecting to see anybody in your, in your freshly clean motel room. But I'll tell you who you don't expect to see, who you don't expect to run into head first, uh, who you don't expect to run into your arms and then terrify the hell out of them because they're probably afraid that they're about to be raped is Nev Campbell from the Scream franchise. Um, <laughs> no yeah, yeah. way. <laughs> Holy crap. So, Dang. So I like go, oh, and she goes, ah. And then I was like, you're Nev Campbell. And she's like, why are you in my room? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and she had this just look of absolute terror in her face because she was probably convinced uh, at that moment in time that a fan had broken into her room and was hell bent on raping her. She was just relaxing. She was in her PJs. Yeah. And, uh. And I was like, I'm so sorry. They double booked the room. I explained it to her. She was so sweet and super, super cool about it. After she realized I didn't have ill intentions. And then I left very, very angry. I was very upset. Were you upset? Were you upset because you had walked into Nev Campbell's room and you realized at that point that although it just moments before was like the apex of your career experience convention when you ran into nev you're like oh there are so many more levels above where i was where i think i am damn it or were you mad because they had they had they the the motel had screwed you uh i think it was a mixture of both first that realization yeah uh, i'm I'm a piss on because this is like class and then but then there was also the level of i saw the horror horror in her eyes and I don't ever want to make a lady feel like that. And definitely not Nev Campbell. Yeah. So, cause I'm like a, I'm like a big dude, you know, and she's very petite, small, short lady. It was, uh, I was mad because somebody, I had made somebody feel that way. And, uh, it was awful. I, I see. And, but then I talked to her the next day after we, I got to hang out with her a little bit the next day. And uh, shoot the shit with her a little bit. She was super cool about it. And uh, and we laughed it off. And then I asked. I had left a very expensive uh, pet cemetery poster from 1989 in in her room. Oh. In my, like, when I freaked out, I just almost, like, ran out backwards. Uh, but it was, like, an original print <laughs> 19, from 1989. Huge oh, no. pet cemetery. And I was like, can I get that? Can I get that poster back that I left in your room? She's like, yeah, I just talked to my man. And then they got it. For, they, she was so sweet. She was such a trooper. Dang it. Once again, once again, right, though? Because, like, when you were at later after, you're like, oh, man, I forgot the poster. Your options are two. One, go knock on Nev Campbell's door again and ask for the poster, right? Or option two, which is, well, maybe I'll see her tomorrow and I'll ask and then you ask, and she's like, yeah, just talk to my manager. And then once again, you're stuck in that I'm a pissant. Yeah. <laughs> because she's not even going to get the poster for you. She's going to have somebody else do yeah, it. Yeah, but 
just because of she just keeps reminding you that you're you're yeah. just you know serfdom. But somebody else <laughs> would have tried to twist that to to make them to like make it. They probably would have. Like a, a lot of other celebrities, male and female, would have probably tried to do the Twitter thing where, oh my God, a rapist just busted into my motel room, and they would try to like yes. over, like it, it was just a misunderstanding, you know. She was so cool about it, yeah. and I'm not even a Scream fan, and I'm not even necessarily a Nev Campbell fan before or, but I was a way more of a fan of her after that experience than, than I was before because I, I don't think Scream is that good, but Nev Campbell, she's a uh, she's top tier in my book. Cause she was fucking, she was a boss about that. It was, it was awesome. It was awesome. Uh, that's sweet. That's awesome. Anyways, back to the Cecil. You ready to get into this op? Yeah, let's dig in. All right. So, like I said, we're gonna be, we're gonna be hanging around the muggy halls of of the Cecil Hotel this entire story. But it didn't start out that way. The Cecil was built in 1924 by three hotelers by the names of William Banks Hanner, Charles L. Dix, and Robert L. Shops. It was uh, thrown up in a Beau art style, which originated in France, very French, and that's you know got the uh, elegant pillars, and the inside has marble floors and statues and all that, all that jazz, right? Yes, glorious. Now they they built this behemoth of a motel at 640 South Main Street in Los Angeles, and it costed 1.5 million dollars to complete, which is. Twenty-three million dollars in today's money. Wow! Yeah, I, I did. A little, That's like a little more than I make in yeah. a month. <laughs> a little, little, just just a titch. Nine one one calls is doing well, huh? Uh, it's doing pretty well. Yeah, I don't want to brag uh, though. Your your shows, you know, this your show is coming uh, right along, well, buddy. You know, got to pay the bills. Um, <laughs> don't we all? Who was that? Who did I just do? Was that Brett the Hitman Hart? That was Bret Hart. That was Bret Hart. I thought so. Yeah, that's so. Well, I did a little bit of math, and, and this is very relevant to the conversation. Like I said, twenty three million dollars in today's money to build this to build this behemoth. You know what you can buy with twenty three million dollars up? Puff stickers. Close. You can buy eleven million five hundred fifty seven thousand seven hundred and eighty eight cans of Pillsbury buttermilk Southern homestyle biscuits. That is a lifetime supply. You know what's crazy? What other than that many biscuits. With $23 million, if you laid all those cans of Pillsbury Buttermilk Southern Homestyle biscuits end to end, it would go 1,094 miles and would stretch from North Carolina to Missouri. Wow. It's like the biscuit trail of tears. Exactly. The only reason I bring this up is because when I said $23 million, I know that in your head you thought, I wonder how many cans of Pillsbury Buttermilk Southern Homestyle biscuits could I buy with $23 million? And now you know. I usually don't work in dollars. That's not how my mind works. But when you said $23 million, I immediately thought, oh, he means $2,300,000,000 pennies. So they bet this place as a destination for business travelers and tourists. They wanted a a classy yet affordable place for those incoming into into L.A., to stay, so they wanted it to be affordable, but as top tier as you can get for the absolute least amount of money. Now, the Cecil Hotel had 14 stories and started out with 700 rooms. I don't know why I said started out with 700 rooms. It also ended with 700 rooms. Today, it has, as we're speaking, 700 rooms. Well, if it was built on the fault line or something, you know, maybe you'd do some 
subtraction at one point or another. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's true. So with 700 rooms, they had 300 rooms that had a detached bathroom, and you could get one of those babies for $1.50 a night, which would be $23 a night in today's money. For a bathroom? No, it, it was 300 rooms that had a detached bathroom. So the toilet oh. and the shower, You, if you had to take a shower, you were going to have to go and look at some overweight old man dude's little... Pillsbury dough boy. Yeah, just... You're doing public showers, and that's that's a whole new level of exciting. I don't know if you've ever had to take part in those. So wait, are you saying that there was there was a percentage of the rooms that didn't have bathrooms? There's a percentage of the rooms that had that did not have a bathroom or a toilet. Then there's a percent- so they were they, that was the public exit. So you had to go. Yeah, you the toilet and the shower. Was in the hallway. Okay. For those people, bathroom was Auschwitz style. Exactly. Yeah. They just. Okay. So there was 300 of those rooms, $1.50 not, which would be $23 today. There were 200 where you could have a private toilet, but you would still have a separate shower. There was a, a public shower. Those rooms were $2 a not, which would be $30 today. And then there were the high, the high rollers. The high rollers, there were 200 rooms. That had their own private bathroom, and you didn't have to wipe your ass in front of anybody. You didn't have to scrub your balls or your vagine uh, in front of anybody. And those rooms were $2.50 a night or $37 in today's today's money. Were you and Nev Campbell on the floor with a shared shower or? Ah, not in my wildest dreams. I will say this. She's a beautiful lady. You talk about somebody that has aged gracefully. Oh, my God. You know, I got to see her without a filter, like face-to-face, like 10 inches from each other. That woman is flawless, even at her age now. So she's aging like wine, that lady is. I don't know why. I'm really attracted to scarification on the face, especially. So, I don't know. She's not really my type. So the rooms, the average room for today is... $99.12. In 2020, the average that you're paying for a room is $99.12. You know, I did the math, and this would be $6.67 in 1924. And that's for a standard room. The the, the Cecil was considered higher, kind of high class, if you're getting one one with a private bathroom. So not only is it more expensive to stay in a room in 2020, but even if you account for inflation, it's almost double. Which was, which was what I thought was interesting. I had to do some work for a client in Sun Valley, Idaho, one time. And uh, they put me up in, in the Sun Valley Lodge. The room was $1,100 a night. Did it have like a, a dining room and a living room and a kitchen? Yeah. And a- yes, it had all those plus it came with its own Nev Campbell. <laughs> in a in a glass box, you just slide your card in, door opens. Money well spent. I will say I did a lot of square dancing that night. Is that what you call it? So the first death took place on June 19th, 1926. And uh, it's a pretty uneventful death. Old man by the name of William McKay dies of natural causes in his room. Not that alarming. Not that crazy. McKay. Old guy just okay. had a bum ticker, okay. bites the dust, okay. and goes on to the next life if you believe in that sort of thing. Okay. Unfortunately, five years into the opening of the Cecil, the U.S. hit the Great Depression because of the stock market crash of 1929. And we're talking about a real depression. This is a great, great depression. Not this 2020 depression that we got going on now where people are like, I just have had to be in my house. I've had to be in my house. 
for months now, and it's fucking Netflix. Movies are just same movies over, and fucking Hulu, and it's just like, how many YouTube videos can you watch? And I'm sick of kale. If I have to eat kale one more time, I swear to God. And this toilet paper wiping my ass with socks, and it's just... <laughs> this is the worst year ever. We're talking about a real depression. <laughs> real depression. Oh, so not like not like 2020 COVID depression. More like Facebook post depression. Had the worst day. Yeah. And then somebody comments and says, Oh, honey, what happened? And they say, I don't want to talk about it. Asked for extra cream in my latte, and they didn't even put the extra cream in it. And then they wrote my name on the cup wrong. And then she said, put on a mask. <laughs> and I was like, the mask is on. It's fogging up my glasses, bitch. I went to the counter, and I was like, why did you write bitch on my sandwich? And she was like, I didn't write bitch on your sandwich. And I was like, it says bitch on my sandwich. And she said, you ordered a BLT with cheese. <laughs> pretty good and then i was like fine and also you're kind of a bitch <laughs> and i'm taking these chips with me like i said the stock market crash of 1929 hits and unfortunately this this once pristine area that the cecil was built in quickly falls into dismay well, n- not just the cecil hotel itself uh, actually the cecil kind of hangs on as long as it possibly can but the area around it just turns into a big old shit sandwich you know what they say, like, location, location, location. As beautiful as the Titanic was, you can park it in Pakistan, and it's not a desirable ship to be on anymore. Okay, so it was sort of like San Francisco today. Lots of tents, poop on the streets. The Cecil in 2020 is unfortunately located about a half a mile from Skid Row. Skid Row is, is famous in America. Almost all Americans will have heard of it. Probably almost all Canadians. Probably half the world has heard of Skid Row. We're talking about thousands of homeless people in, in I think it's like two and a half square miles. I don't know if I would attribute all of Skid Row's fans to being homeless. I think that, you know, I listened to them and I had a, I had a home. We're talking and- about the location op, not the band. Not that awful, god-awful band. No. So is the location named after the band? or That's a... That's a very good question. I Do you know the answer to that? That's a that's an op question. Actually, I know the answer to that. The answer is no because if it was, now that I think about it, if it was, the members of Skid Row would have been 91. So no. I, we answer our own question. Hashtag science. That math isn't adding up. No, not at all. That's like get home from an 11-month deployment and your wife is four months pregnant. She's like, congratulations, you're going to be a father. And you're like, I have some questions. And why is that baby colored green? (laughs) Then you see the milkman and he's green too. And you're like, wait a second. So what happens is Great Depression hits. All these farmers from the California farmlands, they go under. And they come to the city looking for work. Other people are coming into the city looking for work because everybody is unemployed. The location around the Cecil, Skid Row, is a, is a transient area. It's where trains came in and everything. And these people got to Los Angeles, but they realized there was no work to be had here, and then they couldn't get back. And Skid Row just kind of became that dumping ground for all these, these people that had nowhere to go, no work, and just kind of that was that's how Skid Row as we know it today was born. That's interesting. Do you know where they get the term Skid Row from? Skid Row. 
uh, originally was it Skid Row is a modification of uh, the term Skid Road, which refers to an area of a city where people live on the skids, and the skids is actually a logging term. So loggers they transport their logs to a river nearby. Uh, by sliding them down the road, down the skids, on greased skids. It would go down the road right? on greased skids into the river. And so if you're really homeless, really destitute, you may end up, fi- you may find yourself living on the skids. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because no one wanted to live there. All right. So I can mark that off. At least I don't have to say that. So... <laughs> Sorry, I'll, I should just stick to Penny Facts. This is your show, not mine. No, no, I'm glad you actually described it better than I was going to be able to. So I'm, I'm happy you knew that. I'm, I'm surprised you knew that because it's not relating to coins in the least bit. I wasn't. It took my mind, my the gears had to start spinning up and shift gears because I thought you were going to ask me about the band Skid Row, and I had a bunch of information to give to you, and I was going to send you some free merch. Do you have any any fun coin facts from 1924? Yes, actually. Um, in 1924, Wheat Penny averages value of 75 cents. So for one penny, you could sell it for 75 cents. If it were mint condition, it'd be worth about $125. What constitutes it being in mint condition? Um, pretty much untouched. It, it goes by the term, the, 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 the acronym MS plus, which is, you know, just scientific for Mint state plus. Uh, okay. I'm going to say moving on. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, Skid Row now, you, I got really doing the research on this. I got really, I, I went down a rabbit hole with Skid Row. Uh, I just, it, it swallowed my life for about two days. I don't know why. It just did. It's just bananas. It's bananas. But uh, yeah. if, if you look at Skid Row, it's basically just a bunch of people standing on the streets in baggy clothes, uh, just kind of looking looking lost, and many of them are asleep. It's basically Portland, uh, but they're not holding paintbrushes or, or, or protest signs. I see. So a lot less lattes, a lot less avocado toast. Yes, a lot less flannel shirts. Um, probably the equal, the same amount of flannel shirts, honestly. Actually, probably yeah. It's a lumber lumber thing, so it is really bad. Um, well, and if a skid row ends up down at the water, usually down at the water, there's a bunch of dice. So the first documented suicide, yeah, the first documented suicide at the Cecil was reported on November sixteenth, nineteen thirty one, when a guest named W. K. Norton, who was forty six years old, died in his room after taking poison capsules. Now you're going to see poison capsules as a I guess it was like all the rave during this time period. That's how it seems like how a lot of men preferred this method, kind of. And it seems like women prefer, preferred to do like a, a nosedive into the cement. Uh, but mm. <laughs> he had a how he had been missing a few weeks. Old W. K. Norton had uh, he had been missing a few weeks. Nobody really knows why he had a house at Manhattan Beach, about fifty minutes from the Cecil. And I looked it up on Google. And if it's the same house, and it doesn't matter if it is or not, because it's right on the beach, literally. The sand is underneath the house that goes to the beach. Um, it looks like an older house on Google Maps, but even if it isn't, he, he lived on the beach. He seems like he had a pretty nice life. He checked in under the name James Willie, so it almost makes you wonder if he's if he's running from something. 
50 minutes from his house, missing for weeks, checks in under a under a fake name. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, I would say. We'll never know, but he but he, he kills himself with poison capsules. And that's the first uh, documented suicide at the Cecil, which happened on November 16th, 1931. Now, in September of 1932, a maid found 25-year-old Benjamin Dodick dead in his room from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. He didn't leave a suicide note. Hmm. So we don't know why he did what he did either. So far, uh, not a lot of not a lot of um, answers. I think someday, if there's somebody that's running this whole earth, you know, like upstairs, do, um, do you believe in like God or a lizard man or some kind of higher, holier power? <sighs> that is a that's a deep question. I believe it. I think there's something. I think there's okay. something. So maybe a lizard man. Maybe it might be. I don't know. Maybe. It might be a, might be a dragonfly, just a giant brain dragonfly. But I think there's something. There's got to be something. Yeah. Well, the, the reason I ask is because when I think about places like the Cecil Hotel, I think how cool it's going to be someday when that lizard or god man or something comes down, we get to like have a kind of a uh, what uh, what what one man in Quebec once said to me was a fuck you. And I said, you said what to me? And he said, the Fakus. And I say, what are you talking about? And he says, oh, I'm sorry, FAQ. We get to have an FAQ session with the the big man. Uh, and the Cecil, Cecil Hotel is going to be one of those kind of things where we're like, so tell us about the... Tell us about the 13 deaths at the Cecil Hotel. And you know what he's probably going to say to us? He's going to say... You mean the 42 deaths at the Cecil Hotel? And then we're going to, minds just blow. We're like, what? No. And he's like, shush, shush. Okay, you got to hear this. You got to hear this. Everybody sit back down. Sit back down. Sit back down. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's going to be crazy when that happens. Hey, I got a funny joke for you that involves dying and going to heaven. Okay. So a hardcore conspiracy theorist dies and he gets to the gates of heaven, right? And St. Peter or God or a giant lizard man, whoever's there at the gates, is like, all right, you get one question. You can ask me anything, any question, and I'll answer. It doesn't matter what it is. Think wisely because you get one question. The conspiracy theorist, he looks down at the ground for a minute, rolls it around in his head. He closes his eyes, and he goes, oh, I've got it. The God lizard man looks him in the eyes, and he goes, okay, what is it? And the conspiracy theorist looks at God, and he goes, who killed JFK? God looks at him for a minute, and he goes, it's – listen, it, it was Lee Harvey Oswald from the Book Depository Building. It's that simple, man. It's just that simple. Conspiracy theorist looks at God for a minute, narrows his eyes, looks down on the ground, and then whispers to himself, this goes higher than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Since uh, – okay. I got a joke for you about uh, about heaven. Okay. Hit me with it. All right. So there's a guy, and he goes up to heaven, and he's like, and uh, God's like, welcome to heaven. And he's like, oh, thanks. Is he all like, like stoic like that and just yeah. formal? That's the way God is? Yeah. He sounds he sounds like the white version of Dave Chappelle. The way you said it, it kind of sounded like a more proper without an accent elvis oh welcome to heaven if elvis and george washington had a baby is what it would be elvis washington okay okay so he says welcome to heaven 
And the guy's like, oh, thanks. And he's like, well, uh, there over there is your mansion. Um, and you get one wish. And he's like, what? Really? Okay. Um, I want a million, million bucks. He's like, your wish is my command. And he looks over at his mansion and he starts, he's like, it's over there in your mansion. So he starts running to the mansion. And as he gets closer to the mansion, all of the windows just start blowing out of his mansion. And all of these ducks just start flowing all over his property. He's like, what? I didn't ask for a million ducks. I asked for a million bucks. And right then he passes a man who's standing there in the road with a little tiny piano player on his hand. And the man looks at him kind of with this shocked look on his face. And he says... Do you think I asked for a 12-inch tall pianist? So in late July of 1934, a uh, former Army Medical Corps sergeant by the name of Lois D. Borden, who was 53 years old, was found dead in his room at the Cecil, and he had slashed his throat with a razor, which is a pretty metal way to kill yourself. Like, like pretty, like, that's such a, such a rock music way to, that's determination. Yeah. Also, I don't know if you've ever seen somebody get their throat cut. Uh, it's not a one, two, through and through kind of motion. It It is a lot of work. A lot of work. And the misconception is that you're going to cut something that's going to kill you right away. But most of the time, they just cut your airway. So, you know, you drown to death, basically. You know? Yeah, it takes a lot of time to turn yourself into a Pez dispenser. Oof. Oh, gosh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sergeant Borden had left several notes, uh, all of them citing that the reason he did, did this was poor health. So that was the reason for his suicide. He maybe had been diagnosed with a terminal illness. Maybe he had Crohn's disease, which makes you poop a lot, I believe. I don't know if that's what that does. Yeah, we'll just go with it. I'll Google it later. March 15th, 1937, three years after Lois D. Borden took his life. 25-year-old Grace Magro jumps from her ninth floor room. Uh, unfortunately, on the way down, she doesn't make it. She doesn't. She doesn't complete her trip as expected from window to sidewalk. In one easy motion, she actually lands up in the telephone wires oh. and gets all like caught up in the telephone wires, and and eventually smacks her head on the on the sidewalk after falling. Plummeting nine stories. Her boyfriend, 26-year-old sailor M.W. Madison, who was a sailor on the USS Virginia, was asleep in the room at the time and said he didn't know why she'd done it. So, you know, whether or not she committed suicide or was helped, we'll say, is a mystery. It's kind of hard to believe that somebody would would stay asleep in these. You'll, You'll see if you look it up, very, very tiny rooms. It would be hard to do anything in this room without waking somebody up. Or without falling at the window. Or without... Falling, yeah. Right. So maybe it was a mistake. Maybe she That's was big. Maybe she was like, maybe they were two very large people and, you know, things just got out of hand and one lost their equilibrium. I couldn't find a picture of Grace Magro, but we'll get into a big lady here later uh, that leads to another death. But in January of 1938, it'll be about nine months after Grace Magro's suicide jumps from the ninth floor, United States Marine Corps fireman Roy Thompson, who was 35 years old, also jumps from the Cecil's top floor, the 14th floor, and unfortunately he didn't make his descent to the sidewalk in one safe trip either. He was found on the skylight of a neighboring building. So he must have got too much like, like when he jumped out. Yeah, outward momentum. Yeah, he put too much outward momentum in it. Wow. Or maybe he was one of the first parkourers and he just 
misjudged, but 14 floors, that's... He had been staying at the Cecil for several weeks. In a little tiny room. Okay, well, a couple weeks of little tiny room. Maybe... Okay, so let me ask you something really quick. That doesn't seem to be common for hotels to have a lot of suicides. Is Is this excessive at this point? This is a very good question. A very good question. And the answer to that question is disputed. Now, obviously, slummy hotels are are at this point this hotel isn't slummy where skid row is forming this is the this is the 30s the late 30s skid row is forming starting to gain a little notoriety as being a real you know shit stain in in LA but we're not fully there yet uh the motel is still relatively new this is 38 so it's only 14 years old at this point that being said slummy hotels uh do have a tendency to bring bring about people not in a good place in their life. So they are, and in motels in general, not even slummy motels, people tend to take their life at a higher rate in motels than they do in their homes or any other place. I see. Sometimes you'll read some statistics where they say that, uh, you know, the 11 suicides that the, that the that the Cecil experienced in its lifetime aren't abnormal. Some say that it is. It depends on who you believe. I guess it doesn't even factor in the people that kill themselves inside the hotel rooms. Well, also, a lot of this is just the suicides are so odd sometimes. Yeah, you know, it's true. In May of 1939, Navy officer Erwin C. Neblett, who was 39 years old, was found dead in his room after ingesting poison. So we got another poisoner here. Hmm. Poison capsules. Where do you? Where did you buy? Do you think they just took rat rat poison? You think that's what it was? Yeah, either that or if they were like maybe a member of the KGB or CIA or knew someone who was a member of the KGB or CIA. They're like, hey, hey, you got any poison pills? And they're like, for what? Like, no, just for rats. Okay, here. Now, it's important to note that uh, we're, we're rolling into the 1940s here. Uh, the Cecil is still, at this point, a fashionable destination for... For visitors and and transients and everybody, it's it's not completely went down the shithole yet, but uh, we are on her we are on her way. September 1944, Dorothy Jean Purcell, who was 19 years old, was sharing a room at the Cecil with her boyfriend, shoe salesman Ben Levine, who was 38 years old. So she's probably not doing well, you know this this young lady. He's 38. He's a shoe salesman. I believe uh, Al Bundy was also a shoe salesman, and we know how miserable his wife what was her peg yeah so she's 19 and she's already a peg and he doesn't even have a house to stay they're staying in a in a motel well dorothy wakes up in the middle of the night in september 1944 and she's got a bellyache and fortunately for her they're staying at one of the rooms where the bathroom is not in the room it's out in the hallway right it's a public public restroom right so she's like oh uh She's probably glad because she, she thinks she's got to take a shit. She that's not you know this is this is forty four like these are still these are still Andy Griffith top ladies like girls don't yes. poop in nineteen forty four. I don't think girls no. started pooping until the two thousands. Actually, their digestive tracts didn't. Well, they did, but um, it was triggered by you know the wire baskets that but wire hoops that the dresses were underneath the dresses to keep the dresses big. Oh yeah, yeah. It was a wire 
dress, but it was sealed compartment in the back that when they put it on, it triggered the bladder to evacuate its bowels. So the only time they went to the bathroom was when they had that wire harness on. They would expel their bowels into the, the wire mesh compartment in the dress. So they could just go and keep on shot, like just whatever they were doing. Yeah. Never even knew. It was just yeah. like almost like a, almost like those pull behind thing that, that riding lawnmowers have that throw the grass clippings into a basket. That's how we got riding lawnmowers actually. It was the same it's the same patents. That is insane. The more you know. I'll be darned. She's uh, adamant about not waking Ben up. She doesn't want him to know she's got to drop a, a mega deuce. She <laughs> sneaks out of the room. And uh, gets down to the bathroom and squats down on the toilet. And she's like, oh, here we go. And then she starts hearing crying. The toilet was crying. And uh, she gives birth She gives birth to a baby boy. Right there <gasps> in the, no. Right there in the toilet. Yes. Uh, and, oh. you know, she's like, oh, no, I've just, what did I eat today? I don't remember eating a baby. I don't. Uh, but... <laughs> We will quickly find out that Dorothy has poor parental instincts, though, because she accidentally opens the window and throws the baby out the window. They were on one of the higher floors. Oh, man. 11 floors up. That's how she got rid of it. She throws the baby out of the window. The baby lands on an adjacent building, on the roof of an adjacent building. So she gave it a good push. I, I just think Dorothy didn't understand how babies work. Yeah, or or physics. They they find the baby. Not shocking anybody. It's on the roof. Um, I'm not sure if it was like a construction worker or or a building maintenance for the for the building next door. But it's pretty quickly figured out that the baby came from their room. I don't know how. I can only assume that they took the baby's corpse and they threw it from various rooms in the motel. Yeah, starting at the third floor, the fifth floor. And then they just kept throwing it onto that roof, that baby, that dead baby, over and over and over until they were like, oh, this time the baby landed where that's – because forensics was in its – forensics op was in its infancy. Oh. I was going to go with there could have been a very significantly telling trail of amniotic fluid, umbilical cord, and and post-birth – Remnants trailing from the bathroom back to their room, but that's probably closer to the truth than what I just said. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the uh, the the catapult catch twenty two that the the investigators went through. I like yours better. I think it's probably more accurate. I like to think that they just took the baby and they just kept throwing it from different windows until they got the results. They were like Dorothy standing there in the corner, like nope, nope, gotcha. This baby came from this window. Yeah, that sounds like modern medicine about that time, too. Yeah. Now, Dorothy was charged with murder, and she later testified that she just didn't want to disrupt the sleeping Levine. First off, she said she didn't know she was pregnant, and a lot of people were like, how can she not know that? But if you look at a picture of this young lady, she was was healthy. She was well-fed. Okay. This young lady was. She says she thought the baby was dead. Now, when she threw it out the window, which still, in my opinion, I might just be a prude. Call me a prude. Still don't think that's what you should do with the corpse of your dead son. Just get rid of this. This goes out the window. Also that. Plus, I don't know if you've ever been around female anatomy, 
but it by nature uh, is not like throwing a hot dog down a hallway. No. It's a little more of a cramped space. The way that she makes it sound was the baby just kind of boom right out, right? Because, like, eh, I have a hard time believing that. Like, oh, I've got to drop this one bad. Yeah, I don't believe that because uh, you would have you would have heard her coming to the bathroom as she's running. It would have made kind of like a whistling sound, like <laughs> you know, like when you blow on the top of a pop bottle. If it was that spacious and everything, it would have been like a windsock. And this whole story doesn't add up. So they determined the baby was alive when she tossed it out the window because it had pulled air into its lungs. So it had obviously been crying. Oh, sad. Purcell, like I said, was charged with murder until three psychiatrists, then known as alienists, uh, testified that she was mentally confused at the time of the incident. And in January of 1945, she was found not guilty by reason of insanity. Now, my question is, later on throughout the story, we'll hear... I'm not going to bring it up because there's no solidified facts to support this, but some people claim that they have been lured out to their windows by the sound of a crying baby. That's one of the the many ghost stories that surround the CISA Hotel is this crying baby. How how do ghost babies work? Like, because do they... <laughs> Very good question. Do, are they... Do, how do they move around? Do they just kind of float, just constantly, like, kicking their feet and legs, and they don't really know what's going on? They're just like, yeah. they don't know they're dead, but you can't do anything with them, even if you're Haley Joe Osment, because they don't have any unfinished business. Well, like, yeah, think about that for a second. You're on to something, because, like, a baby can barely lay there by itself. I mean, yeah. it cannot walk or anything. So, Probably yeah, the like, least scary ghost in history. Yeah, if you saw a ghost baby, it would be sort of like seeing just a glowing potato on the ground. Like, oh, there's another (laughs) ghost baby. That's the worst part is I don't think you can even see them because they don't know how to turn off or turn on or turn off their stealth mode. That's so good good point. There's just a crying baby laying in the hallway or that's where people figure it's coming from. They can't see it, but it's just nobody can touch it or move it. That sucks for that baby. Forever just screaming in the hallway. Oof. I've always bad... wondered how ghost babies work. That's crazy. I, good question. That is mystery. We should look that one up. January 15th, 1947, the Black Dahlia is discovered. Now, I'm not going to spend much time on this, A, because this is a very famous case. 99% of our listener base is very familiar with the Black Dahlia, as I'm sure you are up. Yes, Right. The only reason I bring her up is because... Close. The only reason I bring her up is because she is rumored to have been uh, drinking at the Cecil Hotel bar down in the lobby uh, days prior before her discovery in a particular um, serious case of being halved. So Mm. um, she also got that Heath Ledger smile. From from the dark night, but beautiful Why young so lady taken too soon. Right, yes. Okay. So I'm going to glaze over that just because there's a lot of uh, – many, like, historians believe this might not be true. So we're going to throw that in the maybe bucket, the Black Dahlia. So part. maybe it's half true. It's half true. She's, she was probably there at some point, maybe. Or maybe half around. of her was there. Or maybe half – oh, I see what you did – I see what you did there. In November 1947, 
Robert Smith, who was 35 years old, died after jumping from one of the Cecil's seventh floor windows. Lead so, singer of The Cure. Great there's another singer. jumper. A lot of jumpers here. Yeah. Did you just he say Robert survived. Smith was the lead singer of The Cure? Yeah, so he's so right. That's one of the most bland names ever. He's probably been the lead singer of like at least every other band at some point in history. Robert Smith. (laughs) Yeah, I guess you're right. It is kind of bland when you say it that way. We're we're breaking into the 1950s at this point, and this is when the the hotel starts gaining a reputation as a hotel for transients and druggies and all the... Just all the uh, undesirables of society. Can we say transient? Can we say? Can we say that? Is that politically correct? Oh, in twenty twenty, I don't know if you're allowed to say transient anymore. I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, They're either men or women, right? Or you know, men that dress like women. But I don't know if you can say transient. Okay, so in the nineteen fifties, the hotel gained a reputation as as being a hotel for eants. There you go. Ants. We'll just call them ants. There you go. Because the trans part. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We want to keep this. We want to keep this episode evergreen. We want to make sure it stands the test of time. Next next year, trans may not be a term we can use. So let's just. Yeah, I like it. Let's just go with ent. Good looking out, op. Good looking out. You you think you you think twenty steps ahead? That's why we've got you here. I try to. This this podcast this episode is going to stand the test of time. Yes, they're gonna they're gonna listen to this episode in fifty years and be like they were really ahead of their time. They were really ahead of their time. I am just trying to increase our ent population of listeners. On October twenty second, nineteen fifty four, San Francisco stationary firm employee Helen Gurney, who was fifty five years old, also takes a plunge from the seventh floor and lands on top of the Cecil's marquee. Oh, yeah. Ow. That is an unpleasant landing. One week prior, she had registered at the hotel under the name Margaret Brown. The name of uh, what? Did you see the Titanic? Yes. Remember the unsinkable Molly Brown? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Margaret Brown. So I don't know if if that that inspired her. I don't know if she had saw the movie Titanic uh, directed by James Cameron in 1954. I don't know if she had seen that yet. Huh? Weirder things than that. I do, happened. however, believe Molly Brown was a, 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 a real character in history, I think. She was. She was also very buoyant. Either very large lungs or maybe she had an oversized swim bladder like sharks. On February 11th, 1962, Julia Francis Moore, who was 50 years old, jumped from the window of her eighth floor room and also landed on the second story interior lot well. She didn't leave a suicide note. But uh, for a while, they they suspected, for a little bit, they suspected maybe it was for financial problems because she only had 59 cents and change on her. But when they started looking into her bank accounts, she had a balance of $1,800, which was a lot of money in 1962. I'm starting to see a trend here. You know, you know, like when the media says they won't talk about so-and-so killer's name or show his picture or whatever because they don't want to attract copycat killers? Yes, it seems like maybe there's a trend of copycat suiciders. It's like they all, they're like, oh, I should go do that. Is it that? Or, so when did the first 30 years? I was thinking, what if there was like a, a, a serial killer that enjoyed throwing people out of the building? That was like oh, his. Oh, wow. That would be really, oh, man, that's a question. That's my first question then when I get to talk to God is, was this, 
he'll be like he'll be like it's a serial killer and we're like what no way I would probably ask God I'm gonna go with Dyatlov I'm gonna just say play by play give it to yeah, me yeah yeah that's the one Dyatlov yeah. what happened and yep and God is God would look at me and be like I'll be honest I've been trying to figure it out for, for seventy <laughs> years I don't he just he, <laughs> he just says. Alien? Maybe? The at love's right over there, and he doesn't even know. He doesn't. <laughs> so on October 12th, 1962, a young 27-year-old Polly Otten kind of makes history with her suicide attempt. Now, she had a husband named Dewey Otten. They had been having marital problems, and he had, she had tried to surprise him at, at his place of work earlier that day to talk about their marital problems. So wait. His name's Dewey Otten. Her name's Polly Otten. Did they have a daughter or a son named Mono Otten by any chance? Uh, I, I don't believe I don't believe they had any kids. She was only twenty seven, and they definitely don't have any kids after October twelfth, nineteen sixty two. Because Dewey decides he doesn't want to have this conversation with her at his work, so they instead go down to the Cecil Hotel and get a room on the ninth floor to have their conversation and just yell through paper thin walls instead. Wow. <laughs> that's that's a better option. Now, at some point after arguing for a, a bit of time, Dewey leaves by himself to go get dinner. And not long after he leaves, poor young 27-year-old Pauline jumps from the ninth floor window. But in the process, turns herself into a 120-pound, 80-mile-per-hour traveling meat missile and lands on the head of 65-year-old George, George Giannini. Oh, killing them both instantly on impact. Which 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 floor did George jump from? Well, it's funny you say that. Police initially thought that they had made a suicide pact together. Oh, <laughs> they didn't. But then they realized apparently when you jump from high 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 places like that, it knocks your shoes off when you land. Mm. George, however, had died with his hands in his pockets. And he still had his shoes on. So if George had been a jumper, he was the most nonchalant suicide jumper ever. Like, golly gee, guess I, guess I better go. And he's just jiggling his change the whole way down. And unfortunately, the last thing to go through George's head was Pauline's ass. I don't know if she landed on his head and, and he wore her like a helmet for just a second uh, before snapping his neck. I, I don't know exactly how they landed, how they connected, but I do know that they both died instantly. I couldn't help but wonder, you know, George is walking down the street. He's got his hands in his pockets, right? He's 65 years old. He's retired. He's probably got, I don't know, what's a, what's a good song out in 1962? Song from 1962, you said? Locomotion. Yeah. Do the locomotion. 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 So uh, okay. Okay, perfect. So George, George Giannini, he's got his hands in his pockets, right? He's in a suit. He's 65 years old. He's retired. He's doing good. He's walking through San or he's walking through LA. Got his hands. So come on, come on, do the locomotion with me. He's just sitting there singing. They gotta swing your hips down. I believe that's a part, that's a line of the song, right? Yeah. So come on, come, come on. He's whistling to himself. And then the next thing he knows, he's just standing outside the gates. He's like, he's like, he's like, bam, in front of the gates. And then he's like, look, look, what the. F-? And he like, his hair's all fucked up. And he like, <laughs> he looks at God and he's like, what? what, what, what and then God just points next to him at Pauline and Pauline's like there. And he turns to Pauline and she goes, sorry. Her asshole is huge. 
Moving on. Two years later, on June 4th, 1964, uh, a hotel worker delivering phone books makes a gruesome discovery when he finds Pigeon Goldie Osgood, a retired telephone operator, brutally murdered in her room. She had been raped, stabbed, and beaten, and then choked to death with a hand towel. Now, Miss Osgood was uh, a fixture in that area, everybody loved her. She was just the pigeon lady. She she fed the pigeons. She was old and just loved pigeons and feeding pigeons and and throwing pigeon food and everything to do with the pigeons. I always think of when I think of of pigeon Goldie Osgood, I think of the the lady that Kevin McAllister befriends in Home Alone Two in the park. Yes, right. I, I don't. Now that lady in that movie is probably about the age of Miss Osgood. Osgood. And probably looked just like her, only she was liked. Mm. Um, and if I remember, Kevin McAllister was at first uh, afraid of that pigeon lady. And then he learns in that movie that you can't judge people off of their appearances. And he makes a friend in the pigeon lady, Home Alone 2, good movie, good good message. You can't judge somebody just because they're covered in pigeon shit. You can't. And that's the way Miss Osgood was. She just loved the birds. She also loved the L.A. Dodgers. She always wore her Dodgers cap, and that was her life, man. She she fed the birds and loved the Dodgers, and everybody loved her. She was just a friendly, sweet old lady. Hours after her murder, a young man by the name of Jacques B. Ellinger, who was 29 years old, he was a homeless man, was seen walking through Pershing Square in bloodstained clothing and was arrested immediately and charged with Osgood's, Osgood's murder. But he was later cleared of the crime. Turned out he found the found the clothes... It was. It ended up being some of her clothing, but he found it. Or I'm sorry. Let me say it wasn't some of her clothing. It was the blood on the clothing matched her, but he had found the clothing in a dumpster. And he said, "You know, winter's not far away. I'm going to need something warm. Got a little blood on it, but I like rustic clothing." <laughs> my que- <laughs> my question is this: Prior to putting on the bloody clothing. If that could be determined as an upgrade to whatever he was wearing before, what in the world was wrong with the clothes that he discarded? <laughs> it was just covered in poopy. Uh, and her murder remains unsolved. To this day, nobody knows who killed her. Uh, it is interesting to note that three months prior to Pigeon Goldie's murder, a block away in another motel, their version of the Pigeon Lady was murdered. Really? So they had that motel had a pigeon lady, a permanent resident there that was also murdered and I, it's kind of funny to think that maybe there was just a guy that really hates pigeons and their happiness and it's like he's just walking he's like there's another bitch feeding those pigeons. On December 20th, 1975, 11 years later. So they had a pretty good period. They had a good run. Pretty good run there. Okay. Uh to this day, this lady is still identified, but she was around 23 years old, and she jumped from the 12th floor window into the Cecil's second floor roof. So, uh, I guess uh, a little bit above the marquee, she had registered at the hotel on December 16th under the name of Allison Lau and was staying in room 327, which is interesting because the cursed room in The Shining is room 237. So, you just mm. flip that two and that three. So, 11 suicides total. As we said, hotel suicide isn't that uncommon. It's where a lot of people go to off themselves. But uh, in the late in the in the mid eighties, uh, the Cecil become known become famous for something else other than suicides. 
uh, up to this point, you know, there was just Rosie's murder, or Rosie, Pigeon Goldie's murder. But uh, for a few months, Richard Ramirez, also known as the Night Stalker, that was his wrestling name. Also known as Dick Ram. As what? Dick Ram. It's short Dick for Ram. Richard Ramirez. Dick. Oh, Dick Ram. Ram. <laughs> okay. Let's see what you did. So uh, between eighty four and eighty five, during his killing spree, he spent uh, a, a number of months at the at the Cecil Hotel, paying fourteen dollars a night uh, during his murdering spree. Now. We're not going to go into Richard Ramirez. This is one of the most well-documented murderers in the history of the United States. There's yes. no need to go into his backstory, yada, 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 or even the people that he killed while he was there. But it did happen. Uh, Richard Ramirez did stay at the hotel uh, on the very top, the 14th floor. Uh, and, and that would forever tarnish the already very tarnished walls uh, of the Cecil. Now, on multiple occasions, he apparently would, when he'd get back from a, from a night of a murdering, uh, He'd be tired. He would dump his bloody clothes in the dumpster behind the Cecil in the alley and just walk through the hotel in his underwear and nothing but his underwear. Nobody said a thing. And I thought, well, that's odd. You know, somebody might say something. But then whenever I was doing my research into, into Skid Row, which, like we said, is very close to the Cecil, on Google Maps, I was – you know how you can drive down the road in Google Maps? Yes, I was checking out Skid Row and I was like, wow, this is unbelievable. Like I'd always heard about this, but I didn't know I didn't realize it was bad. It was this bad. And at one point, I I repositioned the camera onto a random sidewalk and there is literally probably a 65-year-old lady just sitting butt naked, bare assed on that hot ass sidewalk just chilling. Just chilling. <laughs> butt naked, she's got socks on. But that's it. And there are people just walking by nonchalantly like, yeah, this happened. <laughs> We will be posting that experience on to Patreon for you to check out later. <laughs> Blew my mind. I was like, okay, That's so amazing. so the idea suddenly of Ramirez walking through this shitty motel in his underwear suddenly becomes a lot more believable. This is just the yeah. kind of people that were around here. Well, also, have you ever, like, forgot your key in your room and you're in your underwear because you got your papers. I think it happens. I think it happens quite a bit. It's like, hey, uh, so I need to get another key. <laughs> okay, 1987. This is what. This is the year that possibly the biggest crime um, ever committed at the Cecil, the most unforgivable crime ever committed at the Cecil, the most stomach-churning, no-return this building and everything around it is forever tarnished. 1987 is the year that U2 films U2, the band U2 films the video Where the Streets Have No Name. Oh my goodness. Uh, Tragic. Yes. Hey, do you remember when U2, <clears throat> against all of our wishes, forced their album onto us on iTunes and made everybody have their shitty album? Yes. I also remember, do you remember... What came with Windows 95? Okay. Uh, Oregon Trail? A Weezer song. A Weezer song came with mm -hmm. Windows 95? Yeah. What was the song? The Sweater Song, I think. If you want to destroy the sweater, oh, 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 go mm -hmm. while I walk away. 
As I walk away. That one. Yeah, I don't know that one. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. I also didn't know Where the Streets Have No Name. Do you know that song by YouTube? Yeah, I do. Uh, it's awful. I looked it up after I discovered that. It's it's god awful. It's U two is the worst. They There's are, a lot of U two that I I think could have never been seen the light of day. That would have been all right. So they filmed their their video for that on the on the building next to the Cecil, and the Cecil is the backdrop for the video for a large portion of it. That seems a little tone uh, deaf, like a little tasteless. Like, come on, pick a different hotel. Yeah. Yeah. No. 1991. Now, this is another situation, much like Ramirez, uh, a, a, a very famous serial killer in Austria named ja- Jack Unterweger hmm. chose the Cecil as his base of operations in 1991. He was from Austria. He had. Uh, I'll do a real quick breakdown of Jack Unterweger, okay, because this guy c- could have an entire episode to himself. He was an Austrian ser- serial killer. Uh, went to prison for 15 years, and while in prison, began writing poems and writings. And the 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 artsy community took took much interest in him and thought he was a genius. And then they Austria tried to use him as like the poster boy for prison reform. This man is cured. He is safe to be in society. He needs to be let out after 15 years. After he was a serial killer. Uh, they release him after 15 years because of how good of a writer he is. Nobody that writes that good can be a serial killer. Yeah, that's anymore. not true. <laughs> not true. So here's the crazy part. Right after they, within 12 months of his release, he had killed six women, six prostitutes, and the police are like, somebody's killing hookers. Who could it be? <laughs> that's horrible. And Jack is like, I do not know. I do not know. know. I'll write about it, though. Hey, speaking of 1991, um, there were some good horror movies that came out in 91. Did you know that? Trying to think of what came out in 91. Name one of them. Silence of the Lambs. Oh, God. That is a classic. Yeah, that came out. The Addams Family. The movie came out that year. So I made... I'm glad you brought the Addams Family up. You know the thing... The hand from the yeah, Adams the family. Yeah, the hand thing. Yeah. So I got to hang out with Christina Ricci. I got to hang out with the whole Adams family cast, Christopher Lloyd, all of them, and I got to make them a a replica of thing from the Adams family. And they did photo ops with their fans, and I got to adjust it for them and everything between photos. And then they all signed it at the end, and it was really cool. Wow, cool. Where is it now? I ended up giving it as a gift to one of my buddies from the name of the convention is Horror Hound. Uh, his name is Scott, really good guy, and ended up giving it to him as a gift, so he has it. Oh, that's a great, that's great, that's amazing. You've done all that stuff and got to meet all those people. Um, there's one more horror film that came out that year that you might remember. Probably the scariest okay. film of that year Dances with Wolves. So, anyways, in 1992, on September 1st, um, a man was found deceased in the alley. Behind the Cecil, authorities believe that the descendant either fell from, jumped from, or was pushed from the hotel's 15th floor, which uh, doesn't make sense because the Cecil only has 14 floors. So maybe there was a maintenance 
Yeah, maintenance man building another level. Like in, he was in the plenum of the 14th, which would be the 15th, technically. So I don't know how that works, but the, but the paper said 15th floor. Anyways, at the time of his death, he was five feet, nine inches tall and weighed around 185 pounds. He was wearing blue sweatpants and a black sweatshirt over a gray t-shirt. The coroner's office placed the decadence age at 22 to 20 to 32 years old. Um, his identity has the identity has never been established. That's sad. How tall was he after his jump? Uh, it depends on if he landed on his feet or stomach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he could have been three inches or three feet. I see. Yeah. So in 2007, a portion of the hotel was refurbished after new owners took over, and in, and it. And I use the word refurbished lightly. If you look at videos after the refurbishing, uh, they, they put forth a bare minimum. And all of the exterior renovations, none of them have touched the lobby, thank God, which is the only part of the hotel, honestly, that's that's really beautiful. It's very deceiving. Mm. If you were to not know about it, you would walk in. It looks very elegant, marble floors, statues, chandeliers. It's beautiful. And then you get to your rat-infested, bed-bug-ridden, small-ass storage room. Nice. <laughs> So, yeah, you kind of feel catfished by the time you get to your room. In 2011, the Cecil Hotel was rebranded as the Stay on Main. They were trying to shed that that negative past that they had they had kind of acquired after years of people exploding on the sidewalk out front. Gross. <laughs> that leads us to probably the most well-known fact of the Cecil because it happened in the modern era in the era of the internet and and the area of the era of, of viral videos, and that is the death of 21-year-old Canadian student Elisa Lamb. Now, you you know of this case, don't you? Don't you, Op? Yeah, a little bit. Yes. You know what, Op? I think that this 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 part of the story is perfect for for our friend Jack Luna. Ooh, let's have him Jack. tell us about it. Here he comes. Lamb Elisa. That is the name of a tuberculosis test being administered to those possibly affected by the infectious disease in and around the Hotel Cecil early in 2013. Skid Row was prone to such outbreaks, but still, it's incredibly coincidental that a 21-year-old tourist named Elisa Lamb would be floating dead in a water tank on top of the infamous hotel as this TB test that somehow bears her name is doled out down below her watery grave. Lamalisa. It's the name of the test. And it's just plain weird. Created in 2009, four years before Elisa Lamb's death. What are the odds? I know that if I were to turn up dead in a dumpster surrounded by tuna cans bearing the name of some new fishery named Luna Jack, my people would have some concerns, some questions. Lama Lisa is the name of a TB test utilized in the slums surrounding her death chamber. And this has to, even for the most skeptical mind, be a little too far out to throw away without hesitation. As are the circumstances leading to the young woman's death. We've all seen the footage of Elisa entering the infamous hotel's elevator wearing her red zip-up hoodie, a skirt that on closer inspection looks more like black flowing shorts and sandals. She's carefully pressing a row of buttons, then appearing to lose her mind a little when the 
door fails to close. Quickly peering out the elevator as if to confirm nobody's out there, then appearing to hide, but from who? From what? It almost seems as if she's just screwing around, that the elevator is playing with her, so she's decided to play with it. But after this, how can I explain it? Back and forth with the building itself, maybe? The tone takes on a more fuck you, fuck me, no fuck you vibe. She exits the malfunctioning elevator, talking to herself with words that can't be read from her lips as the video is clearly tampered with, her mouth a blur when she speaks, the video's time and date counter blurred as well, moments seeming to slow or outright skip on the tape. It's fucking weird. Her hands dance around in a way that is indicative of mental illness, almost like an orchestrator, but more like a necromancer, a witch. No wonder so many people feel there's likely something sinister, something beyond the limits of sober estimation that contributed to this poor young woman's ultimate demise. The case is polarizing, with many amateur sleuths claiming to know for certain what the circumstances were. It has to be paranormal, has to be mental illness, has to be murder. Well, why not all three? From what we know, Elisa was behaving strangely from the moment she checked into the Cecil. So odd that fellow tenants complained about having to be roomed with her in the hostel section. To be standout strange in a place like this is no small feat. This is a hotel situated close by to Skid Row, after all. Naked drug addicts shitting on the sidewalk. Dead bodies in the gutter and ignored like roadkill. Surely... Elisa's fragile psyche had been affected by the zoo-like environment, the public asylum that exists within hotels that serve such populations. It is clear from her Tumblr post that she was deteriorating mentally. But suicide, it seemed, was not something Elisa fantasized of. She was frustrated with her mind, yes, absolutely, but judging from the photos she took of beauty, some disturbingly from the peak of buildings... It seems obvious that she was intent to stay above her issues. Though one can never know, can never predict the inner workings of another. There are frequencies we can be tuned to on any given day that may propel us to our individual destruction. And it seems that on the 31st of January, 2013, Lamb Elisa, excuse me, Elisa Lamb, had found herself in the slipstream of some complex internal and environmental energies that led her to the dark destiny as leading fixture within the Cecil Hotel's already impressive and disturbing mosaic of historical horrors. After the elevator, there is no true story. But there are a few things that we should make clear here. A search dog alerted to Elisa sent at a window which led to a fire escape which led to the roof. Once on the roof, the scent was lost. Later, after tenants famously complained of discolored water, low pressure, and a tang to the taste of what they were drinking from their taps, a maintenance worker headed to the rooftop and immediately discovered a bloated corpse floating in one of the tanks of which the hatch was open. He climbed a ladder that was against the tank 
and came face to face with the bulging eyes and protruding tongue of the missing university student from Canada that the building and immediate area have been intensely searched for over the previous three weeks. Her body was naked and extremely affected by decomposition, bloating, etc. Elisa's clothes were floating beside her, as if she'd gone for a skinny dip. That, no disrespect, became a fat dip. But that's not what she did, is it? I don't know, you don't know. She didn't go for a skinny dip, a fat dip, like I so fucking callously said. She went to the roof under her own power. Of that, many agree, but we will never know why she went in the tank, naked. Mental illness, fine, easy, clean. Paranormal control, no way, couldn't be, don't be silly. Murder? No proof of assault, no sign of rape, okay. Okay, well, shit. I'll say it, she had a prolapsed anus. And I'm no expert, but that kind of compromise to the body might hide signs of abuse, perhaps. Her body was so bloated they had to drain the tank and cut a hole in the side to get her out. She was a real... mess. And this is where people get angry and scream for Elisa Lamb to be left to rest. But if you know people with mental illness, people like Elisa... Curious, bubbly, intensely disturbed, yet voracious types when it comes to experiencing life, then you know we are safe here. You know she doesn't mind. Don't let the pearl clutchers turn her name into a whisper. Whispers in and around what's now known as the Stay on Main, that the rooftop was a known hangout for alkies, druggies, thugs, undesirables. The bottles, needles, and cigarettes that litter the easily accessible area are all the proof one needs for this. Maybe she came across one of the many dangerous people known to have frequented the hotel past and present. Maybe she was used up, then dumped in the tank, her clothes thrown in after her. Maybe. I think there's at least one room available in this story for a maybe on that. What can't be denied is how creepy the whole thing is, how odd, how morbidly interesting. And what never will be quieted is the rumor. The rumor that will forever escape the lips of local nomads and escapes mine now. That maybe the cute little Chinese girl touring the slums of L.A. during her brief leave from an affluent Canadian university drew too much attention to herself made herself appear a little too appetizing. And the Cecil, whichever way you want to believe it manifested, decided to eat her. Wow. That was... That was interesting. Jack can really take a horrific, tragic accident and make it just flow into your ears like, like warm tasty molasses can he yeah it's such a dark flavored molasses it's uh you know very 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 rare vintage year <laughs> now look the the story of elisa lamb is is not unheard of by by anybody uh that, that is interested in true crime it's it's one of the more well-known and and after jack has gone over it he, he leaves very few stones unturned but you know her her death has never had a a for sure end on it a for a for a for sure cap 
um, there's only speculation. So that is the... That's a hard one. It's really hard. I mean, there's just so many, especially in this day and age, and especially with her, because we have video. We've got so much video, you know, uh, but we still can't connect the dots. It's it's so it's it's so eerie. You know, to that video, everybody talks about that video that she looks like she's hiding from somebody and she's scared. I don't get that impression. To me, it looks more uh, like she's like uh, like playful it looks yeah like yeah uh, like she's almost playing hide and seek hide and seek with somebody like it, it doesn't seem she doesn't seem frantic yeah like no, if i or, were running or scared yes yeah i agree with that I, like yeah she doesn't she seems just kind of like oh, 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 oh it's very now. odd yeah i agree i agree anyways fun fact um, and, and I'm only bringing this up because of the the water that the all the all the poor the poor visitors of the Cecil Hotel drink that had her body oh. rot in it. Yeah. Uh, fun fact: one of the one of the people that drank that tap water said that it had a a sweet taste at first, and then a sour taste. So oh. that's what apparently. That, I don't know why. I don't know why, but the sweet part makes me gag more than like the the rot. Like if it just tasted like rot, I would be like, mm, yeah, that makes sense. But the fact that it takes sweet at first, <laughs> so like if this were a wine, it would have like a it would have a sweet red front end, and then like a like a sour top note, <laughs> sour top note, just inner coffin top note. <laughs> what do we? What um? What uh, nationality was she? She was Asian, a beautiful. If you look at pictures of her, beautiful Asian lady. I like Asian women. So hang uh, on, she was Asian, and he said that the water tasted like sweet and sour. Oh my god! I just put that together. Are you kidding me? That, that was completely accidental. Was that the most accidental? Racist was, thing that I've ever said. <laughs> was that in a publication somewhere? Because if so, no, no, it, it, no. They said sweet and then rotten, but I just said oh. sour. I meant soured, like soured water. You know, oh, okay. like, I didn't mean sours and like the bitter, like the taste, <laughs> just like something that had went soured. But it was completely accidental. Good catch. Good catch. Did, did he also say sweet and sour? <laughs> but he was like hungry a half hour later. <laughs> Now, the only reason I bring that portion of this story up is because I learned uh, just a few days ago, actually, I was, I'm was i a big fan of Theo Vaughn. Yeah, yeah. I love Theo Vaughn and, and this past weekend with Theo Vaughn. And uh, he had a mortician on as a guest. I don't know Ooh, if you ever seen It's fantastic. And uh, one of the things that the mortician brings up, actually one of the things that Theo Vaughn asks him is where does the blood and viscera and everything go that they take out of the corpses, right? Mm, yes. Which was a good question. I had something I had never thought about. According to this mortician, it just goes down the drain into the main water supply and then gets treated at the plant, just like oh. any other water. So you are drinking at any given point the insides of a dead person. You have also drank cadaver blood no. uh, at some point. Yes. <laughs> All oh. of us have. That is so gross to think about that. <laughs> oh, really? If you think, yeah, but you know, once you go down that road, then all all of a sudden, like 
all of the options of whatever goes down a drain might end up in your tap water is oh, urine. Oh, my gosh. oh. Yeah. I have a fun fact to know and share for you. I think you'll be fine as long as it's not butter. <laughs> <laughs> I will be. Yeah, I just, boy, I could tell, though. If there were butter in the water, I would be like, I'm never drinking water again. Hey, fun fact to know and share, though. If uh, if you were to die right now in your recording booth, do you know? Do you know that your wife could actually just hold on to your body if she wanted? There's no requirement to have someone come and cart your body away right away. But if she were to want to keep you around for three weeks, let's say, and put you on display, as long as it was respectful and hygienic, your wife literally owns your remains. So, you, you could die and she could just kind of hang on to you. You know, and that's fine. It's not, I'm not here anymore. I'm up there with Lizard Man. So, in, uh, in 2014... The hotel was sold to New York City hoteler Richard Bourne for $30 million. He acquired a 99-year ground lease on the property. Uh, and then it was – and then the commitment became to preserve it architecturally. And uh, they intend on fixing all the, the – what they call hodgepodge work that has been done over uh, to it in, over the years. So beyond renovating rooms, they also plan to install a, a, a gym, a lounge – but possibly, most disrespectful of all, a rooftop swimming pool. Oh my gosh! Really? <laughs> oh yes. my goodness! Yes. Did did yes. you too help put it in? <laughs> <laughs> the construction of the project is is uh, is scheduled to be completed by 2021. Oh my gosh! And you gosh. know the ghost of Elisa Lamb is just up there with her arms crossed, tapping her foot. Like, are you are you serious? You serious right now? You serious? <laughs> well, as long as they don't make the water taste sweet and sour, I think she'll probably get over it. But last but not least, uh, in popular culture, now this this hotel has come up. It's 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 inspired countless stories, but but most probably directly is the 2015 season of American Horror Story. Okay. Uh, American Story Hotel, American Horror Story Hotel. Now that's a show I really enjoyed the the first season of it, the Ghost House, and maybe it was the second season with the Carnival. Mm-hmm. Was it the second season with the Carnival? After that season, I kind of checked out. I loved the first couple seasons, and then I kind of checked out. But yes, 2015 American Horror Story Hotel is based directly off of the Cecil Hotel. Interesting. I didn't know that. And that's it, up. We are we are just at this point standing by, waiting for people to explode out front on the sidewalk. But that that catches us up to date on on Hotel Cecil or or what you would today call the Stay on Main. So it's October twenty twenty, just to date this episode. What, let's t- let's make a bet. When do you think the next suicide at the Cecil Hotel will happen? Oh. When did they say it? They said it opened 2021. I'm going to bet you just took 20 bucks from me because of the Khabib Gaethje fight. Yeah, but I'm going to give that back to you. I still owe you. I still have to pay. Uh, well, 
your wife asked for it back. She said that was not a sanctioned uh, bet, so I have to give it to her back anyway. Ah, I love that woman. Um, <laughs> let's say I'm going to go February. No, no. March 2022. Okay. That's my bet. All right. I'm going to. March 2022. I'm going to pull a prices right maneuver on you. I'm going to go with. February 2022. Ah, that's why you never, never bet first. Yeah. That's why. Well, we'll see. We'll see who wins um, that bet. Uh, I'll uh, I'll call you later to try to collect that money. I'll collect it from you, and then I'll give it back to your wife. That way, you know, I have a paper trail. Okay. That sounds good, man. All right, man. Well, I'll call you tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, you do that. All right. Hugs. Oh. Nope. What?